Friends, my name is Camille Maddock. I'm the associate pastor here at Valencia United Methodist Church. And we are coming to the end of our burning series, burning questions series. And I hope it's been uh, a fruitful and even at times a challenging experience for you in the way that it has been for Andy and I. Our first week, Andy spent some time discussing the challenges of evil and suffering. The second week evolved into questions on the scriptures and how the Word of God interacts in our lives. And last week, we addressed questions on the church as the body of Christ and human sexuality. This week, the questions have a bit more of a practical aspect to them. They're all questions about wrestling with the more pragmatic aspects of faith, Questions about living a life of faith, things like prayer and listening to the Holy Spirit and following the will of God. And so before we jump in, I want to invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we know you are present with us this morning here and online. Open our hearts to hear the message you have for us this morning. Our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. Now, as we begin, I just want to take a few moments to talk about John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Methodism began because of John Wesley's and his brother Charles's desire to grow as disciples. Together with a small group of friends and contemporaries, they pursued holiness of heart and life. This dual emphasis on both what we believe and how we live is essential to United Methodism today. Wesley taught a threefold understanding of God's grace that is with each of us throughout our whole life. God's grace prepares us, it justifies us, and then continues to help us grow as followers of Jesus Christ. That third aspect of God's grace, the sanctifying grace that draws us closer to God, that helps us to become perfect in love, is where these more pragmatic aspects of faith reside. John Wesley was always organizing and structuring these practical aspects of faith. And on a side note, I think John Wesley would love my packing spreadsheet that has come to symbolize our move. You know, this, this kind of organizing is the foundation of where the name Methodist came from, from the various methods that Wesley developed to help with the practice of faith. John Wesley developed a practical theology of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. As disciples of Jesus, we're gifted with this unearned grace from God. But we're not to sit idle, waiting for the experience of that grace, but we're supposed to engage with it through what Wesley called means of grace. Means of grace are the ways that God works invisibly in disciples, hastening them, strengthening them, confirming their faith. And Wesley organized these means of grace into two groups. There's acts of piety and acts of mercy. The acts of piety are those actions we take as an individual that help us to focus in on God. Fasting, personal prayer, Bible studies, sharing our faith. 
Acts of piety can also be done in community. That's what worship and the sacraments and Christian conferencing is. The other, the acts of mercy, those are things that we do to share God's love and grace with others, yet they still bring us as individuals closer to God. Now, whether those are done as individual or with community, those include the gifts of your time, of your energy, of your financial support to care for the hungry, the unhoused, the sick, the hurting. When we're seeking avenues of justice, when we're resisting oppression and discrimination, those are means of grace that bring us closer to God. Today's Rise Against Hunger event would serve for Wesley as an act of mercy, as a means of grace that can draw you ever closer to God. These methods of faithful discipleship are practical actions that we can take to line our heart with God and to respond to the love that God expresses for us in Jesus Christ. They are a means for our pursuit of God. And when we participate in them, we orient our desire towards God and we begin to grow in our discipleship. And this is all important to keep in mind as we begin to look at some of the more practical questions that you asked. We'll begin with some questions about prayer. One of the first questions we got was, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Well, we pray in the name of Jesus in part because the Bible tells us to. Multiple times in the Gospels and the Epistles, prayer is tied to asking for things in Jesus' name or coming before God using Jesus as the mediator. But in addition to that, when we look at prayer through the lens of John Wesley and a means of grace, we understand that prayer is an opportunity to ground ourselves in that which is holy rather than that which is earthly. Prayer in the name of Jesus is not a magic phrase that somehow gives us all that we think we need or all that we want. It's not the key ingredient in a prayer will that somehow obligate God to do our bidding. When we pray in Jesus' name, it's meant as a reminder that Jesus is the intermediary who brings us before God. When we pray in Jesus' name, it's a practical reminder to seek the desire of God's heart and not our own, to recalibrate ourselves to God and God's will. What then does it mean when our prayers go unanswered? That was another one of the questions that you asked. And unanswered prayers aren't uncommon. The Psalms are full of laments to a God who did not give the answer that was desired or who was simply silent. Unanswered prayers become a roadblock for faith when we only understand prayer as transactional. But prayer is meant to be relational. Prayer is a means of grace. It opens our heart to the power of God's love that heals, that forms our character into the image of Christ. In prayer, we become available to God and to God's love. You know, I've had the opportunity to lead confirmation. I teach a lesson on prayer that attempts to unpack and demystify prayer for our young people. One of the things that I stress is that prayer is, a, is like a conversation with a friend. One of the ways that friendship bonds is, and grows is through frequent and honest conversation. 
And the same is true with our relationship with God. Prayer is a conversation with a God who loves us, with a love beyond our ability to imagine, and who knows us better than we know ourselves. When we approach God as a beloved friend with more than just a list of what we want or need, prayer can become a means of grace that strengthens our faith and our connection to God. Prayer that is relational allows us to be our transparent, authentic, and real self with God. And if we don't get the answer that we're asking for, we can still feel safe seen and known by God, and that enables us to trust God even when things aren't going as we would like them to. When prayer is relational, it serves as a means of grace that molds our hearts and lives. C.S. Lewis says this in a famous quote about prayer, I have learned that my prayers do not change God, God changes me. When prayer is not transactional, when it is relational, it becomes transformative. When I was in confirmation as a teen myself years ago, I fondly remember the lesson that was taught by my pastor, the Reverend Jim Massey. We were talking about what it meant to pray without ceasing as the Bible commands. And Reverend Massey shared his daily prayer practice. In the morning, before he did anything else, he began with prayer. That prayer would change depending on what lay ahead, but he would always conclude that morning prayer without saying amen. Then he would get out of bed and he'd go about his day. Finally, at the end of the day, the very last thing that he would do would be to say a prayer, and this time he would close it by saying amen. He waited to say amen until the end of the day because it meant that everything that he thought, everything that he said, everything that he did was part of his prayer to God. This was his way of praying without ceasing, of using prayer as a means of grace to transform his life. How different would your life be if everything you did, if everything you thought, if everything you said was part of your prayer to God? Living our lives as part of our prayer to God has the potential to change the world. It would be a means of grace that would reorient our lives and help us to become perfect in love. It would change things. Maybe not just our commute in rush hour, but real transformation that would allow us to live our lives the way that's described in Micah 6, 8, having us love mercy, doing justice, and walking humbly with God. Now, another collection of your practical questions uh, were about God's will in the Holy Spirit. Specifically, the question was, how can we be led by the Holy Spirit? Now, John Wesley believed that the Spirit of God moves through our lives to enlighten our understanding, to guide our actions, to remind us of our belovedness, to draw us closer to God, to help us to become more perfect in love. And he compared the movement of the Spirit on our lives to the natural process of breathing. As the very breath of God, the Spirit inspires every good desire in the heart. 
And the believer then excels back to God, unceasing love and praise and prayer. It's through this process of spiritual respiration that the Spirit infuses our lives with God's grace and guidance. And the key to spiritual respiration is having our hearts and our souls open and ready to receive the Spirit moving within us and among us, which is why John Wesley focused so much on the means of grace. It's by participating in these practical aspects of faith that we put ourselves in a place where we can be open to receiving the Spirit of God. Another question that we were asked was, how can I learn to wait patiently on God's timing? I think a lot of this comes from our understanding of God having a plan for us. We read Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 that states, I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. We read a verse like this and we take to heart that God has a plan, has put a plan into action, a spiritual GPS that will tell us where to turn and how to go step by step. And while I absolutely do believe that God has a plan for everyone here, I think it's better described as a purpose. God has a purpose for each of us. When we think of life as having everything that happens to us be part of God's plan, what God wants and makes happen for us, we run into the dangerous waters of pain and death and evil being part of God's plan for us and for our loved ones. But when we think of God giving our lives a purpose, then we have a God who is strengthening us, who is guiding us, who is calling us to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly alongside him. When we focus on God's plan, we get stuck waiting on God's timing, waiting for the next direction and the instruction to come. But when we focus on God's purpose, we can live stepping forward into that purpose confidently. You know, most of us consider waiting as something very passive, a hopeless state determined by events that are totally out of our hands. An appointment is late, well, there's nothing we can do. We just have to sit there and wait. It's not difficult to understand the irritation that people feel when someone says, just wait. Words like that push us into passivity. But the the theologian Henry Nouwen often talked about the spiritual discipline of waiting. He said this, for many people waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. Waiting means nothing productive is happening. Waiting is a waste of time and energy and purpose. Waiting is unpopular, waiting is unproductive. But Nouwen believed in what he called active waiting. Active waiting means living as though that moment is full, not empty. Rather than dismiss our waiting as insignificant or empty or unproductive, we should try and be fully present to the moment with the conviction that something is happening where we are and that we want to be present to it. When we're actively waiting, our focus is on the present. And this is more than just mindfulness. It's trusting that God is still at work creating, redeeming, sanctifying, and revealing God's self. Waiting 
can be a means of grace that helps us to regularly ask, what might God want to do right here and right now? The Reverend Richard Foster describes active waiting this way. What we become as we wait is at least as important as the things we wait for. To wait in hope is not just to pass the time until the wait is over. It's to see the time passing as part of the process God is using to make us into the people he created us to be. Now, we have just a few more questions to answer this morning, but I want to read to you our scripture for the day. It comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of he who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the questions we received was about how can we know the will of God? And while the will of God can be synonymous with following God's plan, it is here in our scripture that Jesus ties the will of God to our redemption. The will of the Father is to not lose those in God's claim. And that will is accomplished by our belief and our discipleship to Jesus. If we truly want to know the will of God, we have to turn our spiritual attention to Jesus. You know, in this passage, Jesus is asking one of the crowd's many burning questions. If Moses gave us manna in the desert, what do you have to offer? Jesus declares that he is the bread of life offered to them to complete their needs, just as the manna in the desert met the needs of the Israelite people. Today is World Communion Sunday. Today, millions of people who call Jesus Lord will share in the bread and the cup. World Communion Sunday celebrates that the body of Christ is always broader, is always more diverse than we can expect or imagine. It extends across time zones to reach into the entire world. And John Wesley considered communion to be a means of grace. He experienced communion as a regular invitation to experience the reality and the grace and the transforming presence of Jesus. And because Wesley believed communion was powerful, maybe even the most powerful means of grace, the communion table at the United Methodist Churches have always been an open table. Anyone earnestly seeking God and a relationship with Jesus can participate. There are no restrictions based on membership or baptism or even age. In fact, the children of our church are going to join us for communion this morning. They are going to participate in this means of grace to experience Jesus as the bread of life, as manna, and to be reminded that Jesus and God love them deeply. 
An open communion table is fairly unique to United Methodism. In fact, we received a question that had to do with someone who was not able to participate in Catholic communion as a Protestant. And a large portion of the motivation for this lies with how the Catholics understand communion. For them, the bread and wine become the real body and blood of Jesus. It'll taste as expected, but through the work of the Spirit, the substance of those items change. In Methodism, we believe that the bread and the juice remain bread and juice, but that they serve as symbols of Jesus, that they help to remind us of the Last Supper, and they work to connect us with the Holy Spirit and with each other. Communion for United Methodists is a holy mystery, a means of grace that draws us closer to God and strengthens us to be faithful disciples of Jesus. And as a means of grace, these elements are open to all because they provide us with the access to that which we need to literally walk the Christian walk, to improve our Christian living towards the purpose that God has for us. Communion reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life and that he reflects the will of God. Communion draws us closer together as people of faith. And so this morning, we prepare our hearts and our lives for this gift. Will you join me in a moment of prayer?